Kia ora, and welcome to Talking Performance. I'm your host, Jay Carter, and in this podcast, I aim to connect with people to chat about performance and what it means to them in an effort to share some gold with our community. I aim to have guests on from various parts of the performance world, such as athletes, coaches, and business leaders, ordinary people who do extraordinary things. These sessions take place live on Facebook on the group page Talking Performance at 8pm New Zealand time if you'd like to watch the show live. Hi mate. Hey mate, how are you? Not too bad. How have you found it? Are you enjoying it? The show and interviewing people and... Mate, I I actually love it. Good, isn't it? I found my podcast amazing in that you just, you get the, you, you get like everyone's best hour of their best thoughts about leadership and then they become yours yeah that's the coolest part that i found like my my coaching i think went through the roof when just having access to talk to so many people and getting yeah. their best stuff yeah and i say that yeah. uh, like you know what day is it where you are thursday night um yeah. you know like you might be open to this but the reality is if i messaged you and said hey mate can i just ring and pick your brain for an hour on a thursday night you'd probably go oh what other shit I got? You know, whereas I don't know, and don't. Yeah. I, I tell you this now that I've already roped you in, but you know, like, and there's a part of it where <laughs> I, don't, I get to talk to some people that I probably shouldn't get to talk to, and then yeah. get to share that with people. So that's the cool bit right. as well. Right tonight again in another pre-recorded session uh, due to Cody not wanting to do a four AM podcast. Uh, I have Cody Royal joining me. Cody's the author of. Um, I'm not sure how many books you've got, but a couple that I've read, where others won't, or been seen as where others won't, and the tough stuff, which um, I'm actually rereading at the moment, just because of a few things that are going on in on my world. And um, it's amazing when you read a book for the second time, you read stuff and go, "Oh, I didn't read much into that," but obviously, different context now, and so it has different meanings. Um, and anyway, you've also got your own um, podcast where others won't. You're an AFL coach living in Canada, um, working in AFL. So there's some random stuff there. You're an author, you're a podcaster, you're coaching, you're coaching an Australian sport in Canada. Um, so I'll let you fill in the gaps, mate, and, and um, let me know what I've missed. <laughs> no, that they sound like random things, don't they? But they actually fit in nicely together. Um, in that, yeah, writing and talking about leadership and coaching obviously flows into my my coaching and my practice, which we were talking about a little bit before we came on. But uh, yeah, interesting journey for me. Um, I also got into coaching really young. I was about 23 or 24 when I kind of fell out of love with playing footy which is young at home, right? Like you, you kind of have your suburban career and you get into your you know, your late thirties and you play for your local club and, and then you kind of transition into it. Yeah. Whereas I'd already started that process at, at 23 and then got opportunities in North America that I wouldn't have got at home probably. Um, and then, yeah, the, I mean, I didn't want to have a podcast and I didn't necessarily think about writing books, but you know, I was able to get into conversations here at national team levels with, with, you know, North American coaches and just having access to those people and, and really wanted to learn from them and capitalize on their knowledge as well. So yeah, it, it all sounds very random, but I look at it as this neat little bundle of things all around my coaching life that all plug into it. Yeah. So at 22, before you went down that journey, so you said 23 sort of coaching at 22, if you'd have fast forwarded to now, said you'll be an author, podcaster, would, that, would you have gone far out? Wouldn't have picked that? Or, or would you have said, yep, I'm probably heading down that track as well? No, I, I w- wouldn't have picked that. And, yeah, I, I would have laughed at you. Um, I, was, I was lost. So after not getting drafted, which was the only thing that I wanted to do with my life, none of – I did a business degree – because none of the other ones sounded interesting. Like my, the only thing I had on the agenda was to play AFL footy. Yeah. And so when that's taken away, well, not taken away, but when, when you don't reach that milestone and then everything else just seemed quite um, a poor alternative. So it was coaching that actually reinvigorated my 
passion for the game and, and teaching the game. And so, but yeah, I've certainly spent 10, 15 years kind of chasing something that's, um, or a, a career path or a traditional career path or whatever you want to call it that is, you know, making up for the lack of options that I thought I had when I was 18 or 19. Yeah. Um, we, when you were young, was there a moment where, or, or actually early on in your coaching journey, were there any eureka moments where you went, uh, like, was there great coaching that inspired you or was there coaching that maybe didn't support you in the way that you thought coaching could have supported you? Is there anything that led you down that path? Yeah, it was really good coaching. So I had a, a mentor, Graham Bergen, who was one of my assistant coaches in one of my final years of playing and, and we just hit it off and he just poured so much time into me. You know, I'd, I'd go and, and stay with him. You know, he had a big house with some spare rooms and we'd sit up until 2 a.m., you know, diagramming things and, you know, he'd had some experience in AFL circles and and he'd show me things and, and it was a lot of tactics, right? Like here's how you do it. And so when you're young and you can't really fathom all the cultural stuff and who human beings are and all the complexities of, you know, late 30s people and things like that, just diving into tactics is exactly what you want because that's how you envision the game, right? Yeah. And so I, I got that uh, love and that time and that care from a really good coach and that just made me want to be even better. Mm. That's quite cool. Like, so it was the tactics that drew you in, but his actual coaching was more the time and the love and the care eh, that was the, the critical part, which is pretty Big cool. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, you know, two people that equally passionate about it and to, you know, the relationship didn't stop, you know, when we just left the the locker room and I was like, you know, at eight o'clock and then everyone goes home and has their dinner. It's like, we, yeah. we went and had dinner together and talked about it more and then had drinks and then talked about it some more. And so, yeah, yeah. When, when you're obsessed with something and, and someone facilitates that obsession, you're like, oh, this is great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So how did the opportunity come up um, in North America? I just moved to travel. And it was just really to get off the island and go and see the world and, and experience the context, you know, particularly in Australia, what we lack is any context. We don't have any other than you guys. We don't have any neighbours, but, you know, we're essentially one big country and there's no different languages or not a lot of, and so I kind of sensed that and, and really wanted to go and experience the world on the world's terms. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, Jay, like the the original plan was to go and do a year and then I wanted to come home through the South Africa World Cup in 2010 and and I thought I'd go back into coaching and and here I am, I think 12 or 13 years later and never moved home and, you know, have a wife and a kid on the way and, yeah, I've spent 10 years coaching a national team in tournaments, which tournaments don't exist in Aussie rules. It's league yeah, right. play basically only. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a fun journey and, and I've really had to, like even that, right? So there's no coaching framework really for coaching tournaments in Aussie rules. We yeah. play usually, you know, 15 to 18 games or 20 yeah. games every week. And so you can, you can talk about progression and then you'd look at it on the national team level and you've got to do it in camps. So you've got time sensitivity. You've got no real opportunity for progression other than at their clubs, which you don't dictate. And so all of those different dynamics, I kind of had to learn and sift through and learn from other national team coaches. And that, that means other other sports because Aussie rules doesn't really have other no, national no. team coaches. So yeah, it, that, that's what I mean. It's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> and does going back to Australia, this just popped into my head. Now, does going back to Australia and coaching in the AFL, in the league sort of set up, is that something that's of a goal or of interest? No, no, not for me. I think, one, this, what I've stumbled into with the tough stuff and, and working directly with coaches is going to be probably the rest of my life's work. 
Yeah. And, you know, I had a conversation with a former AFL coach recently and he said, would you go, like, you know, if you want to try and be an assistant, I can help. And like, I'd be a horrible assistant coach. Uh, right? I, I know I know too much now. I know yeah. too much about what it's like to to run the place and yeah, uh, cutting up film and everything that wouldn't be for me. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. So yeah, I'm happy with the direction I'm in now. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the tough stuff and you know where that was driven from because um, it's a fairly unique, uh, fairly unique read. But certainly in the coaching sense, anyway. Yeah. It's a it's a personal it was a personal catalyst. Um in that we had a player take his own life um in early 2020. And we were a couple of months out from going to the International Cup. So, you know, most people might not know, but there's about 20, 25 countries that go down to Australia and, you know, big two-week tournaments like a World Cup and play five games and men's and women's and big celebration of Aussie rules. And we're a couple of months out from that and and have one of our key players both on field, but really one of our central social figures um, take his own life. And then in the midst of dealing with that, COVID hits and the tournament gets taken away and you know everyone's kind of sitting there you know with time on their hands and staring up into the blue sky and coaches have started to you know kind of realize like oh that could be it like we we were talking about leagues folding right like there was genuine concern for leagues being able to to survive Mm. And so the knock-on effect of that is coaches sitting there being like, uh, who, who am I then? If, if this all goes away, like, what is my identity? What if the money goes away? Lifestyle? Like, and so there was some real panic and concern and deep diving. And uh, so I was going through that at that same time. And so I just started jotting down some notes and then started calling friends and like, how are you going? And, you know, the higher up the chain I got, you know, professional levels, they still weren't doing any better. And they had the resources to do better and they had the money to not have to worry and they had to everything. And, and everyone was kind of realizing at the same time that, that they'd been piecing it together for decades, some of them, you know, divorced and alcoholic and, you know, this and no identity outside of wins and losses. And, and so I started writing about it and it became a book. And, but yeah, the catalyst was this personal thing that I went through when I went looking for a book like this and couldn't find it. So I just went and wrote it instead. Mm. Um, and obviously there's a lot, there's, you know, uh, some things in there where I guess it is, um, at the high performance level, you know, some of the things that high performance coaches have to deal with around media and um, public scrutiny and all that stuff. But I think in many ways you can relate it to a club coach. Um, you know, some of the things that they take on in terms of the identity. I know, you know, there's about the bit about uh, um, you're not a co- you're not a coach. You're someone who coaches, and sometimes you can get lost in that and be thinking everything in your identity is wrapped up in that big time. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wordplay in the book. I mean, I'm a writer by trade, so it, I, I actually I enjoy looking at that, but, but also we're in this world now where we're saying words are important. And, and so we need to think about the words that we're using. And, and I, I point out things like self-talk and the way that we punish ourselves and the mm. way that we talk to ourselves. We would never talk to someone else like that. Yeah. If, if my mum heard me talking to someone the way that I talk to myself, yeah. she would give me the biggest rap across the back of my, my head. Yeah. And I think we're all guilty of that. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's that piece of it. There's, you know, I just sent a tweet out just before we came on air about performance environments. There's no such thing as a performance environment. It's only a human environment. You do performance things, but it's a human environment with ambitious people in it. 
Yeah. And, and so, right, these things are important because what we're doing is we're trying to justify essentially bad behavior with things like saying, well, it's a performance environment. Mm. No, man, it's a human environment full of human beings. Yeah. Well, how do you go with the critics to that, that, that say, you know, that's soft and that's, you know, they need to toughen up? Um, and maybe it's, I don't know, particularly down this part of the world, you know, where you'll be right, mate, let's just, you know, have a beer. And I think you make the point of that in the book, you know, like have a beer and carry on sort of stuff. Um, yeah. what, what do you say to the people that go, no, they need to toughen up and this is a high performance environment? Yeah. I, hey, that's fine. I, I was just coaching someone before we came on here and we were talking about this and, and I actually like that there are different approaches in sport. It's one of the things that I love about it. Yeah. I, I love that New Zealand play rugby differently to Australia, differently to England, differently to Ireland, differently to Canada. And, and there are different philosophies and, you know, we, you see endless things on soccer about mentality and different mentalities in different parts of the world. I actually think that's the brilliance of what we do, Mm. but I think ultimately humans tend to arrive in very similar places at the end of all of it. Yeah. And, and that's really what I'm trying to get to is like the root cause underneath all of it is that they are humans. You can't argue with me about that. You can argue how we can treat them as a result of their profession, but I would argue that you've got a very narrow view of competition and competitors if that's all you think they're capable of is basically that traditional stereotypical kind of army mentality of like, I'm going to dictate what you do and you just need to be hard as nails and just run through walls for me. Yeah. That's a very narrow view of competition and of competitors. And all I'm doing is pointing out that actually if we harness the power of human beings, and a lot of our power comes from our emotion and it comes from recognising and utilising our emotion, uh, I think you create much more interesting people and competitors when they can use those powers for good. Yeah, nice. Um, Two things. One, I just want to jump in there. When you said about your mum would, you know, if she heard you with your thoughts, I remember reading an article that Jeff Ogilvie, um, top Australian golfer, wrote, and he said if his caddy spoke to him the way that he talks to himself, he'd fire him on the spot. Um, yeah, you know, just it. sort of started talking about being a bit kinder to himself. And um, I think that was prior to when he won the US Open in uh, 2006. Um, but if we go back to, to the young man that took his own life, and, you know, obviously you would have required a lot of support in that moment, but it's a fairly unique thing. If How would you support yourself now? And oh, I guess, or two things, actually. How would you support yourself? How do you look after yourself in that moment? And how would you support somebody else who's going through a similar thing? If someone rang you and said, hey, Cody, this has just happened. Mm. Yeah, I was really lucky in that. I had some people that I was able to go to because I could feel myself spiraling and, you know, I'll kind of, I'll talk you through the, the lived experience of it is there's this kind of initial sense of, of panic. And what I kept envisioning was we have 50, 50 guys on our roster and I just kept envisioning, 50 sets of eyes like young men all looking to me to, as to what to do mm. and and i mean what to do in terms of how like how to grieve and when you just kind of see yourself as a football coach and you can't get that vision out of your head let alone all the emotional toll of actually grieving and and so trying to lead through grief is a really uh confronting thing to do and um so what i did and i think this is one way to potentially try to solve it is i had a little panel i guess you'd call it. i had three people that i went to cameron schwab was one um schwab has been great to me and 
you know, he was the CEO of three different AFL teams. Um, and, and I knew that he knew what the pain was like. And I knew that he knew what a coach might need because I didn't want to go to someone to say, you're being unreasonable. Like you don't, don't take on, you know, the, the emotion of all, all of your players. Mm-hmm. Cause I would have told that person, I don't want to swear on your, on your podcast, no, you, but you're welcome to. you can, you can imagine what I would have said to that person. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Schwabi was great. Uh, Meg Popovic, who's done some amazing work at the Toronto Maple Leafs around wellness and, and psychology. And, and again, so someone that understands what a, a young coach might need, but also understands the, the weight that you take on as a coach. You know, it's like having 50 sons. Yeah, and and her brother Mark, who played in the NHL as well, and so I built myself a little board of directors almost. And when I needed something in particular, I went to a different one of them, and just for a conversation or to say, "Look, I'm feeling sad today. Can you know? Can we have a? Can you just talk to me? Or I just want to uh, vent or or whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, and so feeling like I had multiple angles and I wasn't necessarily burdening one person with all of my stuff was really helpful. And then having people that like, no one said to me, any of that's like, you're being unreasonable or you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel like that. Or they, they, they all just sat there and said, yeah, that's, that's tough. You know, I can, I can see how you got there and how you arrived there. And so, yeah, I don't know how I would advise other people. I haven't really thought that through. It's a good question. And, and I, I, I would like to, I'm actually going to think about that, Jay. Thank you for that because I, I want to be, having gone through it, I would like if people are going through it to get a call about it because it's one of those things that it, you can't prepare for until you go through it yeah and then and then you kind of feel trapped uh, especially as a leader that's going through it and you have to lead other people through it Mm. um so i'm going to think through how how i would advise others but that's one thing that i use that i found really helpful in in that yeah i wasn't placing a burden on on anyone in particular but they kind of shared it and just gave me what i needed and massaged me in the right direction so were those three were they in place as um, are they are they a consistent sounding board, or that was for that situation? You would thought oh, these are three that I know are will support me and assist me. And and do you have others who might support you in different areas? Yeah, so that was just for that circumstance. I, I picked those three because of I knew that they would understand the particular circumstance of being a coach, and, and that's what I mean is like this you can't help but take on the pain of all 50 of those guys. Mm. You know, like I had to, there was three of us that, that called around the country, you know, the team manager and, and one of my, my players and myself, we called every single player one by one and told them. So when you've heard that um, and you've heard that you've sat and cried with, with guys on the phone the last thing you want is someone to, to kind of lecture you on how you should deal with it and how you should feel. And, you know, you've just taken on an enormous amount of trauma and you're trying to help and try to do your best. And so I, I just, I don't know why those three, like Mark, Megan and, and Cam, I just got a sense that they would provide what I needed. Yeah. Um, and they're still, mentors of mine now you know informally but i've kind of taken that idea in in my coaching and and content creation and you know so i i probably have a big board of directors now depending on what i need so that i can go to to whoever's needed but yeah so maybe i've used the idea but uh, but um you know it's not just those three yeah um and uh now in the book there's a couple of little uh, comments around how you use that now and when you refer to um, that player um, moving forward. And is that an, that's an important part of that grieving process and the team 
um, dealing with that? Yeah. Um, he was such a loved guy and, you know, he was really finding his way and, and he'd found excellence in our game and he'd, you know, walked onto the, the team and walked into our midfield, which is an important position in Aussie rules and, and, you know, socially was, was just loved. And, um, you know, the, the church wasn't big enough to hold all the people in it. And in, uh, in that part of the world, in, in Ontario, Canada, in February, um, being indoors <laughs> in amongst the, you know, <laughs> hundred centimeters of snow that are outside is pretty important, but there were people literally like outside the church at, at his funeral. And so, you know, so many people came because they loved him. And so we, we want to remember him for, uh, for what he contributed to our lives. And that was a lot of positivity and, and uh, smiles and laughs. And so, yeah, every time we, we talk about Ned, we, uh, we kind of trail it off with what a fucking legend. Yeah. So that everyone knows that he was just a fucking legend and, yeah. and we miss him. And yeah, I mean, it's a, again, it's a little trick of words and, uh, but it just, it, as you can see right now, it puts a smile on, on your face because you, yeah. you just think about him and, and the beers that we had together and, and, you know, his laugh and all that sort of stuff. And that's what you want to remember of anyone. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, I think that's been helpful in in us moving forward. We yeah. haven't moved on, but we've moved forward. Yeah. And did that just, sorry to stay on that, but did that just emerge that what a fucking legend or was that a specific thing again? Or did it kind of just emerge and now it's there? It was, it was organic. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Though. Yeah, it was, I, from memory, it came from, you know, obviously we were, we were remote because of COVID. And so, you know, we had to do a lot of things um, on Facebook and we communicate amongst the group. And so, yeah, every time, you know, someone would get into the notes and, you know, what a fucking legend. And, yeah. and then it just became something verbal that we did every time he, he came up. And so, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, that's maybe it's even better because it was organic like that rather than planned. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then I guess flowing on, in terms of organic, your podcast, did that, again, was that a conscious thing? I, I'm going to do that or was that just another outlet for you to share some of your learnings and connect with people? A little bit of both. I I didn't really want to be a podcaster, but I, I sensed an opportunity there to really learn from some really top-notch people. And, I mean, if you look at, you know, from the first episodes, like I just went straight to the top. I was like, unless I can get the best people in the world <laughs> at what they do, I don't want to do this. Cause like this, this is how fast things have evolved. Jay, like when I started my podcast, the idea was interview your mum and her friends for 50 episodes. And then yeah. you can start to progress on to people that, you know, your, your followers might be interested on. And, and that was kind of the methodology that was fine. And uh, I'm not going to do that. And so, you know, I went straight to episode one is Adam Grant, the organizational psychologist and yeah. Joe Dumas, who's in the NBA hall of fame, the two of them on the same episode. And then I think the second, the second episode is uh, Paul Ruse who won the AFL premiership with Sydney and revolutionized their culture and James Kerr from legacy. And so I was like, just straight to the top, yeah. <laughs> but but there was a, a couple of reasons for that. And, and obviously the, the learning and the condensed learning from those people just makes you better being around their ideas and their best ideas and hearing them talk to it and hearing how they navigate challenges. And I mean, it just made my coaching so much better. Mm just by having exposure to them. And so I'm glad I took the leap and I'm glad I took that you know, drastic leap. Yeah. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure some of those people got an email from an AFL coach in Canada and were like, what is that sport? And <laughs> I, I can't believe they have the internet up in Canada. Um, and so, yeah. uh, 
but yeah, and so, you know, as I'm sure you've found as well, just uh, then they, they end up becoming your friends as well. And so there's continued conversations with, with a lot of people off the back of your podcast and you share articles and, hey, like you mentioned this thing on, on the pod and you might be interested in this. And so a lot of my friends now, are people that I just met through the podcast. Yeah. So it's been really enriching from a coaching perspective, but also from a personal perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, 100% agree. That's that, uh, like I think I said to you before we jumped on here, the chances of me um, ringing you on a Thursday night and saying, can we just have a yarn for an hour? But selfishly, I get to pick your brain here, um, which is pretty cool. Adam Grant, um, I recently read uh, Think Again. Uh, man, that's such a good book, eh? Oh, yeah. One of my favourites, yeah, I reckon. He's sharp. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, did you know these guys or... Um, you just thought, who cares? I'll just reach out. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, again, this was a couple of years ago and you kind of forget how quickly things have developed. But, you know, I really, I had the concept for the show. So the original concept was two guests that were really experts in something similar. And my assumption was that having two guests and the host be able to bounce ideas off each other would create a different dynamic than the one-to-one conversation. So I'd done all the competitive analysis and, and everything and looked at who was podcasting at the time. And, and the big thing that I kept coming back to was, well, if, if Tim Ferriss is interviewing Jay Carter and Oprah Winfrey is interviewing Jay Carter, by the time it gets down to me, who's going to want to listen to my interview with Jay Carter? Because they've used all their best stuff with the top people. So I wanted to create a competitive advantage. And so that's what I did. So, you know, Adam and, and Joe, um, Adam Grant was a, was a Detroit Pistons fan. He's from Detroit. Joe Dumas is a god. He wouldn't be able to walk down the street in Detroit. Uh, so put them together and talk about culture. Paul Ruse and, and James Kerr, you know, didn't know each other. Yeah. So both culture guys would, would want to interact with each other. And so that was the foundational idea. And, and I just tried to keep, keep that going because you can't start to run out of topics and, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. ideas to pair, to, people, <laughs> to pair people together on. And the name Where Others Won't, where did that come from? Came to me, came to me on, a, on a train platform on the way home from work. But it, it stems from the idea of competitive advantage and, and being willing to look where others won't go, where others won't. Uh, I, I think I was really looking at uh, particularly recruiting at the time and, you know, the New England Patriots and from my sport, Hawthorne and teams that had really recruited differently and, and looked at the problem differently. And so, yeah, I was just, again, wordplay, just kind of noodling around ideas there and standing on a train platform. I was like, oh, that sounds, sounds interesting. And then it took me for someone pointed out to me way later, like after the book had come out, that it, it's W-O-W, like wow, ah. which hadn't occurred to me. So um, You should have claimed yeah, it. Oh yeah, I, I wish it was. I wish it was a better story. People want a better story. It's like, oh no, it's train platform, <laughs> <laughs> subconscious thinking. Yeah, yeah. No, but and it, I think that's cool. Was Hawthorne your team growing up? I'm from Glen Waverley, so oh. yeah, we used to walk to to games. We were that close to to Waverley Park there, so yeah, right. big Hawthorne fan. Nice. I spent a bit of time in Waverley, believe it or not. Um. And then so the connections that you've made, because you've done some other stuff around, um, uh, I guess, I don't know what, what you'd call it, um, learning series. Um, what's the desi- Where does the desire to share your information come from and get it out there? Why not just sort of keep it to yourself and to your close network? I've had this conversation a couple of times uh, in the last week or so with a, an Aussie friend and we're actually talking about the differences and uh, one, you can't do that here. Um, North America has 
400 million people in it. And um, so keeping it to yourself doesn't really get you very far. In fact, it's kind of the opposite way around in that what, what you do is you, you share it so that others can sharpen it for you and, and it makes you have some gumption. And, and I, I actually really like that idea in that you better be good here because yeah. there are 400 million other people that want to be good at whatever it is that you're, you're trying to be good at. And so it really drives you to keep things sharp and, and continue to innovate and learn and, you know, upgrade and, and bring in from different areas. And that, I don't know, that just really resonated with me more so from a competitive perspective. And then the other side of that is where I found myself now is, you know, coaching coaches and, and working with, you know, elite head coaches that are struggling with the stuff that we talked about earlier. Um, one of the ways that we can solve that problem is with community. And, you know, I mean, there's no one does, I don't think community better than you guys. And like the, you know, the Owen Eastwood's book about belonging and James's book and a lot of the ethos behind New Zealand's sporting and, and cultural landscapes are really impactful. And a lot of it is built around that idea of, of community and community solving a lot of um, challenges that we have. And I think head coaches are in a space there now where we can do that. We can help each other with community rather than trying to pull ourselves apart and say, well, we're enemies or, yeah. I think if we actually came together a little bit more and shared what we were going through, we could all benefit. And so there's a little bit of a sense of that, that I, I want to share because I, I want to model that behavior for us. And Hey, if someone takes the ideas and makes them better, that's cool. Yeah. Um, we have a course here in New Zealand uh, run by high performance sport. And I had uh, Alex McKenzie who sort of initiated it a few well, maybe just over a decade ago now when it started and his concept was to bring same thing, bring coaches together um, from other sports. And there was, so there was that sense of community and that we're all coaches, but there wasn't really the, you know, I don't have two rugby coaches in the same course of it. There's normally about 10 coaches together and yeah. it was fascinating stuff because you'd go and do things like we did a three day residential four-day residential where we did um horse whispering um so you do all these random things but um but it was really cool to then share hey this is what i'm struggling with and you know like i was rooming with a football coach the first week and he's got the same issues that i've got despite the sports being you know completely removed and so that was that lovely sense of community which was the purpose of the whole thing was to create a sense and now you have our intake um we still connect. And then yesterday I had um, breakfast with a guy who was on another intake, but we've got that connection because we're both part of the same um, community in terms of this accelerated coaching. Um, what, what do you see now in terms of you coaching coaches? Where's the sweet spot, do you think, in terms of the support that they need? Um, and is it exclusively to elite coaches or is it to any coaches? Yes, yeah, so I'm focused on elite coaches, so professional and I'd call it high university level. Um, and there's a particular reason for that group is that <clears throat> I think everyone else looks to them. And so making change there, whether it's personal change in terms of how they behave and how they act and how they respond to questions and and and, you know, at conferences, what they present back to different other groups, but then also structurally. So how organizations at the pro level structure themselves to support coaches. I think it's more impactful there. And so, uh, yeah, I've, I've focused there. And the answer to the question in terms of sweet spot is it's impossible to say because of the dynamics within each sport and within each league just change the amount of support that's needed, the type of support that's needed. Uh, head coaching is head coaching, but it also isn't head coaching in that there are so many 
dynamics that we need to factor in. For instance, in, in Major League Baseball, the manager plays a particular role that is kind of outside the team, right? Like they're not in the team, but they kind of are. And then in, in American football, it's very different. There's, there's you know, the head coaching, or the coaching staff are kind of closer to the front office. And so the team acts as a particular organism that's separated from there. And so even those kind of things really help dictate what support looks like for those people. Yeah. And so that's why I don't think there's a one size fits all way of solving this. Um, yeah. But where people can start is, is thinking about how coaching could help them improve their performance. I think that's the seed that every coach needs to consider in general. Mm. Um, is this, has this come about you? Like you said, your book came about because you were trying to find something um, to support you and so there's nothing out there. I've got to create something. Um, is this something that you thought would have helped you as a coach? And hence that's why you've set it up. Do you think there's similar stuff being done anywhere? Oh, I mean, coach development's not a not a new practice. I've maybe got a different spin on it mm. in that I actually come from a, I mean, one, I was a head coach. <laughs> so I, I understand the nuances of it. And I think that's unique into itself in that, you know, often coach developers uh, maybe from psychology or just got into coach development. Like there's courses you can take to develop coaches. Yeah. Um, and so the, you know, like you said, on, on your intake there, the connection point for everyone was, well, you're a head coach too and we have all the same problems. So I, I have that in that I can walk in and go, oh, yeah, don't, don't worry. Like, yeah. I, the biggest mis- one of the biggest mistakes, I'm, I, I selected a player and deselected that player later that day to pick someone else. So I marched him into my office twice, once to pick him, once to unpick him. You know, before playing uh, USA in USA, which is a big game for us, and so you know, you can kind of sit there and go, "Don't worry, I, I, I get it." Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this this stuff's hard, and so there's that. But then also the the second piece, and p- potentially the more important piece is, I really come from an, the emotional angle. So the tough stuff is about the emotional toll on head coaches in particular, and that's where I would say. I don't want to say there's no one doing it, but no one's done it well enough. Yeah. And we, as head coaches, I think we kind of starting to understand that now and that COVID period helped us go, yeah, I wasn't doing very well emotionally. And, and so that's really my focus. Yeah. Is, is trying to optimize that so that coaches can get into, you know, their performance mindset. We talk about all this stuff for players sleep and nutrition and and you know energy and energy management and making sure that you you've got your performance mindset and your triggers and all your, your the happy places that you go and the words that you say to yourself and then as coaches we do none of that and so I, uh, that's a lot of the work that I do is is getting to you know those the emotional toll of the role and then how do we get that to a place where you know, you can come at your performance and make sure that your awareness, your communication, your decision-making is that it's absolute optimum. And we know you can't do that from a state of depletion. Like there, there is there's too much neuroscience into yeah. that to prove that. You can't be like the first things that go or the most drastic things that go when you're in a state of depletion, awareness communication, decision-making. What are the three things, Jay, that a head coach does? Yeah. <laughs> they need to be aware and, and observe things. They need to yeah. communicate those things that they've seen. And then they need to make decisions based on that. And so, again, it, as soon as you present, present that to a head coach, they go, oh, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. Right. So, But it's hard, isn't it? Because you want to be the first there in the morning and the last to leave and be the martyr. And, but in actual fact, you're probably having a negative effect. Um, on, on on yourself and everyone else. Yeah. The, the rest of the staff aren't leaving if you're still in the office. Yeah. Um, actually, on that cap course, um, I think the first year is about leading yourself. 
And then the second year is kind of now you can lead others because you've done some of that. And that tends that horse whispering. So it was really around self-awareness. I was just listening to you talk there. I wrote a quick note, like the selection part, you know, I've been on many seminars and webinars and coach development stuff and certifications and all that. Yet, as you were saying that, I've never heard a conversation about that, which got me thinking. And then one of the strengths, I think, of the CAP course, which is the Coach Accelerator Program, sorry, um, is they would constantly remind us when we're in this group that we don't need to solve problems for the other coaches. Sometimes they just want you to listen. And so just hearing you talk about that selection dilemma, what I don't, well, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I don't necessarily need a step-by-step, this is how you do it, but at least hearing you talk about it and the struggles that you had can allow me to start to form some of my ideas. But in all the years I've been coaching, I've never heard a conversation around that. And so that's the stuff. And and I think of Ian Foster, our current all-black coach, um, you know, and we've just finished off, I say we like I'm part of the team, but um, being a Kiwi, I think, you know, like it's a right of... You are, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and the last two matches they lost and, you know, they beat Wales by 50-odd points and everyone was going, geez, they're amazing, how good are they? And then they lost the last two against Ireland and France and now all of a sudden there's articles about Ian Foster should be sacked as coach and you forget that Ian Foster's a human um, and a good man and... And that's the bit I think that your book certainly really makes you go, whoa, like you said at the start, these are human environments. Um, and that, that's critical, eh? Because it must be bloody hard for those guys. I mean, imagine yeah, having your job critiqued every week. Yeah. And, you know, we also forget that there's a, a state of essentially pure job uncertainty. Yeah. And so, you know, the, some of the conversations I've had, and a lot of them didn't make the book, but is talking about the impact on children, your, your children as a head coach. So they go to school as well. Mm. And if, if you're not, if you don't think that every kid in that class knows that they're with the head, you know, the All Blacks head coach. And so they, they, then the kids want to constantly talk about it. Like, oh, well, you know, my dad reckons he should be sacked. Like, that's just one small dynamic that you've got to think through, let alone, you know, husbands and wives and, and uh, you know, all the other dynamics that go on around. And, yeah, I mean, you're starting to see the, the seeds of change, though, and, you know, the, the top guys are already doing this. And this is the thing is that Pep Guardiola has, has a full-time coach that works with him that, that goes around that works for the club exclusively just to be his right-hand man. And, you know, it's portrayed in the Man City documentary on Amazon and, you know, Manel Estiate is his name and, and they're friends, but he's really just there to, mm. you know, just to help support Pep and, you know, Eddie Jones, whatever you think of Eddie, Neil Craig coaches him and they spend time together every morning in camp, you know, at the same time, what do you need to talk about Eddie? And so, you know, they're already starting to move because they see the impact that even just having someone to talk to and go, I didn't get a good night's sleep or yeah, geez, the media on me or whatever it may be. All right. Mm. Now we're into performance mode. And so it can be really impactful even for the, the, the top, top guys where you're like, what could Eddie Jones possibly learn about his yeah. craft after everything that he's been through? But they're still chasing it, being like, I can still get better and this person can help me. Yeah. Um, even then, I think, uh, was it in Adam Grant's book? I'm not sure if it was now, but uh, he talked about, or whoever it was, I was talking about the help hotline, um, you know, for people, and often you don't, need to actually say anything or offer anything people just by talking about you know what they're going through and stuff can be quite nice as well so to have somebody there in your team um but then thinking when you were talking before that story about andy friend in your book and his son you know overhearing a phone phone call like you that impact must be massive eh? and i think that's something that people do um i don't know about forget but become a little bit unaware imagine if you know i've got three daughters and 
you can just imagine what you know how hard would it be for them so, yeah and and th- think about you know that that example with andy you know he's he says his son's response is are you okay dad so he's he's heard his dad get fired or essentially fired he's gonna get fired in the morning and he walks past the bedroom and, and his, his son so his son knows what's happened as he's trying to go to sleep he knows his dad's not gonna have a job in the morning yeah and that's there that's the stuff that that's the tough stuff hey eh? well done on the name yeah. <laughs> yeah. um yeah because there isn't a just you know yeah great work um so what's next for you is there any other books on the way is there a um yeah anything anything on the move yeah well it's you know a lot of my time is is spent working one-on-one with coaches at the moment and then encouragingly there's been a lot of organizations also come and uh, want to know more about what a better coaching structure would look like to properly support and you know scaffold coaches coaches in general i'll include you know we've been talking about head coaches because that's kind of the focal point but it's really all coaches yeah and so you know big influential organizations you know at the olympic level at the professional level are really starting to think about this space and and kind of acknowledge that it's gone overlooked and so yeah uh, a lot of a lot of varying work so both you know the actual hands-on kind of dirty work with coaches but then also thinking through what structures can look like that can actually provide the support as well and so that's keeping me entertained and yeah i mean there's always mate, you should see i've got a i've got a folder in my google drive called half baked ideas there are so many books in there yeah. that are that are half baked <laughs> so I, I would say there's always at least one on the on the radar at any given time so yeah uh, I, I don't know i i think it would be rushing it i think um if i tried to pump another one out it wouldn't be work that i was proud of and so yeah there there will be more though like i said i'm a writer by trade i I love that forum i love that you can reach basically everyone in the world now through you know amazon and and so there there will be more coming for sure yeah nice um thank you so much for your time tonight for you um and me actually when this goes live it'll be night um so yeah thanks so much for your time and not only sharing with me and and my community but also um all the work you do online with your podcast where others won't i love uh i love that you're brave and inquisitive at the same time um with the questions and and where you go so really appreciate listening to your work thank you so much mate